On this podcast, we discuss medical diagnoses and procedures. All of the guests express their own opinions. You should always seek medical advice from a trained and credentialed professional when making decisions about your own health. Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Stories podcast. I'm Emma Cooksey and I've been coping with sleep apnea since childhood. I didn't know anyone in my life with a sleep disorder, so I decided to start this podcast. I'm here to build community and provide a platform for people with sleep apnea to tell their stories. Together, we can shatter stereotypes and raise awareness. We'll be exploring all sorts of treatment options and lifestyle choices to help you live your best life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm so glad you're here. Hi everyone, it's Emma Cooksey here, and I'm your host. So, it's been a pretty good week. Nothing major to report, really, so I guess on with the episode. So, today's episode is my conversation with Dr. Shelby Harris. She's a licensed clinical psychologist in private practice in White Plains, New York. And she specializes in behavioral sleep medicine and specifically in cognitive behavior therapy or CBT. And within that, she also specializes in CBT for insomnia, which is called CBTI. Um, And she has a whole book that she wrote about women and insomnia and it's called the woman's guide to overcoming insomnia get a good night's sleep without relying on medication so I listened to her book and it's really great for for anybody honestly but there are a lot of people who have sleep apnea who also struggle with insomnia and I think one of the things that happens is you say to yourself, well, I have sleep apnea and that's why I'm not sleeping well. And you don't seek treatment for insomnia separately, right? And one of the most important things I think to come out of this conversation I had with Dr. Harris is that you absolutely can have sleep apnea and insomnia running together at the same time, making for some terrible sleep. And you should pursue treating both of those things. And oftentimes people think that the first line of treatment for insomnia would be medications from your doctor. When actually, um, these days, the most recommended course of action is CBTI or cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia. So it was a really interesting discussion and I got a lot out of it and I hope you will too. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Shelby Harris. So welcome Dr. Shelby Harris. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm really, I'm really glad to be here. So I have to literally read this to make sure I get it right. So you're a licensed clinical psychologist and you specialize in behavioral sleep medicine. And I just uh, finished listening to your book 
Um, I was really well organized and like literally finished like this morning. <laughs> um, so, but I really loved it and I learned a lot Thank that you. I didn't know. So you really specialize in insomnia. Um, yes. But what I'm realizing, um, and I kind of wanted to get your take on this, is that there's so much overlap between sleep apnea, uh, mm -hmm. insomnia, and anxiety and depression. So can you talk oh, a little sure. bit to that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a loaded it's a loaded question, but I mean, I <laughs> yeah. think we could talk for three hours about I that. Can, I can talk about it. You know, I think when we think about anxiety and depression, let's take the sleep apnea out of the equation. Yeah. A lot of times with insomnia, the old school model of insomnia was that you treat the anxiety, you treat the depression, and then their insomnia and sleep issues will get better. And it's, right. we say old school, but I got to tell you, it's still super, super common. I was just talking yeah, to a patient um, who's like, oh, when my depression gets better, my sleep will get better. Well, not always the case. Because what happens is, yes, that might start it. And sometimes you don't know. It's a little bit of the chicken and egg sort of thing, right? You're not yeah. sleeping well. Then you start to feel more anxious or depressed. But if you really treat the behaviors that influence the sleep, that like going to bed at random times and the things that you're doing common sense wise to try and get more sleep, that's actually what can fuel it itself. So right. we try to, even though other things can start it, we try to treat the sleep, the insomnia as a separate issue. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, so when I was at Montefiore Medical Center, I worked there, I ran the behavioral sleep program um, for over a decade. And that's My in New York, right? In New York City, yeah, up in the Bronx. So it was the first accredited sleep center in the country, if I remember correctly. So wow. a lot of, lot of history there and like mm -hmm. circadian rhythm research and everything. It's awesome. But when I was there, my role, I was the only psychologist. We had three other MDs in our department. My role was really to just treat the sleep issues behaviorally. And then I would refer out if there was significant anxiety and depression. I really just mm -hmm. worked that way. Now, when I was there, the other thing we saw all the time, people would come to me and I still see it every day. People come to me because of insomnia. And then I just asked the simple question of, well, do you snore? Do you choke or gasp? And then it like, there's so much overlap between insomnia and sleep yes. apnea that then that's a whole other issue too. Yes. And one can fuel the other. And there's all these debates in the field about how you go about treating it. But those two things, you know, if you have an apneic event, you could wake up sometimes and then that could lead you to have insomnia afterwards. Right. And so one of the things I loved in your book that you pulled out was the fact that people should look at the specific um symptoms of the different layers of what they're dealing with and treat all of them right yeah so i think that that's something that's come up so much as i've been doing this podcast and interviewing a lot of people with sleep apnea they're talking about that they treated their sleep apnea with a cpap or a mandibular advancement device yeah and then that allowed them to get quality sleep but that almost let them uncover the fact that they were struggling with depression yeah, there's and, a lot of overlap. Yeah. So so one of the things I think a lot of people really struggle with is the difference between sleepiness and fatigue. Oh, Can yeah. Can you explain so, a bit about that? Yeah. So I think when people are going to their doctors, they're showing up and saying, I'm exhausted or they're just going and crying <laughs> and they I can't know. articulate like I'm I mean, I used to literally just show up to the doctors in tears all the time and I could never really get past like, I don't know, I just feel terrible and overwhelmed. And if somebody had said to me, do you feel sleepy like you want to fall asleep like most of the day or in the afternoon, I would have said yes. 
And if they said, are you fatigued? Is your body tired? I would have said, yes, I am. But I think people don't know that language. So it'd be really helpful for you just to explain that to everybody. Yeah, I think that's a great question. So the fatigue is more, I always say it to patients, it feels like you're just dragging a ton of bricks behind you. You just don't have energy. Sleepiness, on the other hand, doesn't mean you can't have both. You can. But sleepiness, on the other hand, is that irrepressible need for sleep. Like if you sat down quietly for a little while, even a few minutes, you're going to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And the way that we could also tell the difference of like who might be an insomnia patient in the waiting room versus a apnea patient, if they were they had separate issues, is that the fatigue is what you see much more in straight insomnia. So patients yes. that don't have apnea, don't have significant depression, that's people with insomnia will say, I wish I could go to sleep earlier. I'm so tired. I wish I could nap. I'm so tired, but I can't. It's because you're not sleepy. You're mm -hmm. tired. Whereas people who are dozing in the waiting room, those patients might have more significant depression or sleep apnea or something mm -hmm. else. That's that sleepiness feeling where you can fall asleep at any point. That's yeah. the difference. Okay. That's really good. Because I think that honestly, like that's a big chunk of my thing is that I mean, well, there's loads of parts to it. I think that it'd be really great to get a lot more um, primary care physicians, like knowing a lot more what to look for, for the, the specific things to make sure that they, you know, refer to the right specialists. Mm -hmm. But I think if patients know this language, if yeah. they go and say, I'm really sleepy, yeah, that's going to make the doctor think, oh, sleep study, you know? Right. And so, you start with what insomnia is and how someone would know. So, okay. So insomnia is typically trouble falling asleep, mm -hmm. staying asleep or awakening too early. So some people are just naturally five, six hour a night sleepers, mm -hmm. but if it doesn't create a problem for you, you're not annoyed by it. You're not tired. You're not having memory issues or mood issues then you might just be a little bit more of a shorter sleeper. It might still want to try and get more sleep, but it really has to create a problem for you. Right. And ideally, it has to happen three or more days a week for multiple weeks on end. So that it's causing a problem for you. That it's a trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, or yeah. awakening early it has to happen at least three or more nights a week. And that's because it's normal to have a bad night here and there. Right. So some people, when they're done with treatment with me, they I, like I have to make it known to them, you will have a bad night here and there because you're human, right? right. We respond to stress. So right. when we think about it, it's a three or more nights a week of that trouble, and it has to go on for multiple weeks. Short-term insomnia starts at four weeks, and then longer term is longer than that, usually like three months. So if you have two weeks of bad sleep in response to a really bad stress, that does not mean that you have chronic insomnia necessarily. So there's a bit of a spectrum okay. there that you have to think about it, um, but that's the hallmark thing. And the one other thing I always stress just to add on to our sleepiness fatigue thing is that I always make that difference between the demarcation between uh, fatigue and sleepiness because in insomnia patients, if you just have insomnia, you typically are not sleepy, you're tired. And that's what gets people in a lot of trouble. They go to bed at various times because they're tired, but they're not sleeping. If you are extremely sleepy though, on top of that, then you want to start saying, oh, maybe do I have apnea? Is there something else that's feeling? Is there some depression? Mm -hmm. Is there something else? Because that might be worsening the sleepiness. And if, yes. you, if that's going on, then you want to maybe talk to a sleep doctor for an evaluation. Yeah. But it's absolutely um, possible for people with sleep apnea to concurrently being be suffering with insomnia. 100%. So it might be that the, the sleep apnea is... Con 
um, contributing to them waking up perhaps, mm -hmm. but people who lie there and can't go back to sleep once they're woken up, yeah. they, they are dealing with insomnia. Like, and yeah. so I think that one of the things talking to people that always comes up is, is they just lump everything in with, well, I have sleep apnea. So yeah. that, whereas I think what I want people to hear is that's a separate, like the insomnia part of it is separate and can be treated successfully yes. separately, right? So, so if you have sleep apnea, you want to treat that like with mm -hmm. your CPAP or mandibular advancement device. But if you're awakening and can't go back to sleep or you're not able to fall asleep at night, like you want to seek treatment for, for insomnia. Yes, for yes. sure. And you can, those treatments can be combined very well. Yeah. And there was this old, and I think, you know, even when I wrote my book, there wasn't a lot of, lot of research on it at that time, but there was this idea of always treat, like, should we treat the apnea first? Should we treat the insomnia first? What do we do? Yeah. And the reality was that like when I was at Montefiore, the majority of patients I saw had both insomnia and apnea. Mm -hmm. So in our sleep clinic. So, but to see me was a little bit faster to get with me versus waiting two, three months for an in-lab yes. sleep study that they would have at the time. Yeah. So what research is now showing is for mild to moderate cases, and maybe even a little bit more than that, you can start with CBT for insomnia. You can start with an insomnia treatment mm -hmm. and then do the apnea treatment later. It doesn't have to be wait for one, do the mm -hmm. other. Now, what does that mean? It's usually CBT for insomnia. If we start doing medications, sleep aids, all that stuff on top of it, then you might actually be worsening your sleep apnea. But what I see most of all, because I come at it from the insomnia side more so than yes. the apnea side, is that people come to me and they're having insomnia, but no one once said to you, like the basic, do you snore? And it's like, right. it, and regardless of age, right? I see a lot of young adults who are thin, you would think like how, like overall healthy, but yes. they've got sleep apnea. Well, well I wouldn't think that, Shell, because I like have the podcast with all the people, but like, I know, right? Most you people know. would think overweight, older men. Right, exactly. But it's the thing of like, okay, I'm not sleeping or I'm waking up, I'm having trouble falling asleep, I'm tired during the day. Mm -hmm. So a doc doesn't ask necessarily, are you sleepy? Are you snoring? And then they get put on any of the sedating, sleeping, yes. or Xanax. Climate, With no treatment for sleep apnea. Exactly. And yes. that's when they're saying, well, I'm sleeping, but I'm really tired and sleepy during the day. I was like, well, that could be a side effect, but it also could be if you have apnea that's not getting treated, it's getting worse. You're yes. worsening it. So it's it like, are you treating just, you just want amnesia for the night or do you want good sleep quality, sleep quality and right. quantity? That's yes. kind of what we look for. Yeah. But, it, but we would use medications judiciously if someone's apnea is well controlled with. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. Um, and so tell us about, for people that just have never yeah. heard of CBT. Yeah. Um, tell us what that is. Okay. So CBT it, for insomnia is different. Yeah. It's a little bit, I think it's a little different than the typical like CBT for anxiety that you were talking about or yeah. depression. It's really the, I always start C cognitive, B behavior therapy. And it's a short term ideally treatment anywhere from two to even 12 sessions, depending upon the severity. And if you're on lots of meds, I have some patients I've seen longer, but we're tapering off stuff. It's, but it's a short term treatment. And what we do is we start with the B part. So the behavior is really tracking your sleep on a diary, getting some ideas as to your sleep patterns, mm -hmm. changing basic sleep hygiene. Now, basic sleep hygiene is great. 
but it's not going to cure chronic insomnia if you're someone who's really suffering from chronic insomnia. But that being said, I don't want you drinking like, a, you know, three cups of coffee at bedtime. We're going to make those changes. Then we also change like what you're doing in bed. If you're not sleeping, not laying there forcing sleep, other behaviors you can do. And then I also change their bedtime and wake time to actually usually be a little bit less. It goes totally against common yeah. sense. Against common sense. I make them get more sleepy so that you sleep more consolidated during the night. Yes. And then we slowly teach patients how to increase that time in bed. So you slowly, you meet your body where it is and slowly give it you, yourself some more sleep. Mm -hmm. Now the cognitive part is really where you're challenging thoughts about sleep. A lot of people who can't sleep, they'll say, well, I won't be able to function tomorrow. I won't be able to do X, Y, Z. That forcing yourself to sleep and worrying about it is only making the problem worse. Yeah. So we teach people ways to quiet the brain, challenge those thoughts or do mindfulness, whatever it might be. Relaxation is more behavioral stuff. And get out of bed. Get out of bed. Sleeping. Right. That's the thing. If you're not sleeping, we call it stimulus control. Get out of bed. Like don't force it. Mm -hmm. So it's all changing bedtimes, behaviors, thoughts about sleep. And it's very manualized. So, I mean, we change it based on the person a little bit, but it works really well for about 70%, 60 mm -hmm. to 70% of patients. It works just as well in the short term as a sleep aid but it shines in the long term because when people start stop taking sleeping pills, guess what? They usually often don't sleep well again. Yeah. This teaches patients how to sleep well longer term and how to do and take control of, of the whole thing themselves, which I think is really exactly. empowering. Exactly. It's not a cure for everyone, but it right. should be in the primary care literature and sleep medicine. It is the first line treatment. Mm -hmm. And I can never stress that enough. It's the gold standard. So that's so, where you should start. You should start there. And if your doctor is quick to say, oh, well, here's a pill for your sleep problem, just ask, do you know anyone who does CBT for insomnia? Mm -hmm. Or there are, if you're just, you know, if you want, you can try, there are great apps. There's my book. There are ways that you can do it mm -hmm. to try it and give it a good try. And if that's not enough, then we start talking about medications. We start talking yeah. about alternative things. But we don't want to throw meds at a problem when there's a really effective behavioral treatment. It might not work as fast, but it is much better in the long term. Yeah. This episode of Sleep Apnea Stories is sponsored by Mute. Regardless of whether you have sleep apnea, use a CPAP machine, or deal with allergies and congestion, you deserve a good night's sleep. Mute is here to help make that happen. A nasal dilator made from ultra-soft medical-grade polymers, Mute gently holds your nasal airways open, which increases airflow by an average of 38%. And that 38% improvement means more breathing, less snoring, and better sleep for you and your partner, or kids, or dog. <laughs> the quality sleep your body wants and needs is well within reach. Breathe more, snore less, sleep better with Mute's comfortable and customizable fit. So, so one of the things I thought was super interesting was when you were talking about how so, so many people have these wearable devices now, right? <laughs> yes. I think I literally gave myself insomnia by getting an aura ring. Yeah. 
because that'll um so if anyone's listening that there's all sorts of tracking devices like apple watches and yeah. fitbits and then i have this aura ring thing and it'll tell you that tells you about your workouts and all that stuff too but yeah. it also has like all this data about your sleep yeah and it's based on kind of i did ask my sleep specialist all about it and she was just like oh like <laughs> it's based on like algorithms of like normal people almost like so yes. she's just like don't put too much emphasis no. on it. so i basically like turn myself into an insomniac when i never had a problem ever with my problem is having sleep apnea waking up with the apneas and being like oh that's annoying i got woken up but then basically going straight back to sleep because i'm right. so sleepy all the time right um and being really sleepy all day so that's like i mean i do have some fatigue but like it's sleepiness what I'm struggling with, exactly. right? So anyway, so I did the aura ring and I find myself like awake at two o'clock in the morning going, oh my God, have I had enough sleep? And like, I don't know if I had any deep sleep and ugh. so, so what do you, what's interesting in your book is you're talking about like old school, like a paper writing out, like I know the, I'm the sleep diary, right? So tell me about that and also people's perception. Oh my God. Because you were saying like uh, people are rocking up with like, this is what my Fitbit said that I did in my sleep. Yeah. And you're saying, no, I want you to write out your perception of how yeah. long you were. So tell me all about that because it's super okay. fascinating. So I, sometimes more data is just more data. Is what, What's that gonna do, right? right? So I'll start with the watches and all the rings and all that sort of stuff. I think they have a very useful place in society. So I don't wanna say there's no point in them. Mm -hmm. I think if you're someone who does not make sleep a priority and you're burning the candle at both ends and you're going to work too late and you're getting up too early, they're great because they give you awareness of, oh, wow, I'm only sleeping four hours a night. <laughs> like, Which is not enough. Not enough. So we'll yeah. hopefully give you that or that perspective that you should be making sleep more of a priority. I tell people who, who use them, take a little bit with a grain of salt, like the deep, the light sleep, all that sort right. of stuff, because it's not really been so well tested against right. sleep studies. They're starting my deep sleep says zero like every yeah. night and i'm like so what, what, how does that help you change it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> so like i say if it makes you think more about your sleep behaviors great but for people with insomnia what we find is and this is coming out more and more in research is that it's actually worsening insomnia because what people say is well my watch said this and it says i'm having this and they become to like they put sleep a priority already they just can't get right. it so now this is making it even more in the forefront of their brain. And if yeah. you perceived one thing and the watch says something else, it's just worse. So what I tell people is who have insomnia, because that's what I deal more with, is to say, I just have, like on my website, I have a sleep diary that I use. They are a billion you can get out there. National Sleep Foundation has them. I want you just to write down what you perceive without looking at a clock. How long do you think it took you to fall asleep? How many times do you think you woke up in the morning? How early did you get up? And how much were you, do you think you were awake at night? Because honestly, if they write three hours for time to fall asleep, because they felt like that, mm -hmm. but then after treatments going on, they start to write one hour. I know they feel like it's less time. And if they feel like it's less time, they're likely going to be happier with their sleep. So it's really right. less about what the clock says. It's more about perception, right? It has to create a problem for you. Mm. That's it. Taking the pressure off an external verification makes it so much yeah. easier. And you can use apps. Like I have patients who will do it like in an Excel spreadsheet and they use apps for it. But I don't want a watch or something telling you how you slept. 
Yes. Yeah. That's it. And that's how I use it in my, my practice. That that's really, that's super helpful. Can I add one more thing? Yes. So if I want, if someone we used to use for many years, we still use them, something that's what these watches and everything were based on was called an actigraph, an actigraphy. So it's like a watch that was basically a motion detector mm -hmm. and they've been around for years and we use them really to figure out people's sleep-wake patterns if we're looking at circadian rhythm disorders. So if you're okay. given one by your doc or someone says, I want you to wear like one of the watches right. now, I might use it for someone just to get a sense as to what time they go to sleep and wake up. So don't question it necessarily all the okay. time, but don't use it yourself if you have insomnia to kind of like obsess about your sleep try and figure it all out. Yeah, that's 100%. what I was doing. And that was not helpful. No. Um, so here's one of the things that I think that, because obviously I'm always talking about sleep apnea, but I think one of the things with sleep apnea is people get diagnosed with sleep apnea and then they just completely like every common sense basic sleep hygiene thing they've ever known goes completely out the window and they just are like i'm using this machine to treat my sleep apnea and i feel like a lot to do with even if you're using a cpap like a lot of those maybe common sense like sleep hygiene things are so important Oh, yeah. almost more important for people with sleep apnea. So yeah. can you talk us through like a lot of the things that people can be doing just to, to get better sleep in general? Right. So let's, like I said, for chronic insomnia patients, this is not often enough and you want to ask for treatment. But right. I always think you still need a good like baseline of good sleep behaviors, right? Just mm -hmm. like you brush your teeth and floss every day this is the sort of stuff that you should be doing yeah. because what does it do it helps to improve the quantity and quality of sleep you're getting so thinking about quantity right keeping as best you can and i don't expect perfection i don't want people to be so rigid with sleep hygiene behaviors that it rules their life but thinking about going to bed around the same it's, time it's kind of like you have my number <laughs> <laughs> like, you're not the only one right Stop talking so to me i have to get in bed in the next, in the next five minutes Right. But it's like, that's the yeah. thing is I think they're amazing things to have, but sometimes it creates like tension in relationships. And that's where I deal with patients sometimes. Right. Too. So, but I think really it's about keeping that consistent as much as you can bedtime and wake time so that sleep, you know, an apnea, uh, like a pap or whatever is going to help you to sleep and it's going to help with the quality of sleep, but it's not going to be like, go to bed now, get up right. at this time. It's not right. going to like give you quantity that you should be getting. Yeah. So that's where, you know, you need to like really think about bedtime, wake time. You might, a pap is not necessarily always going to solve your ability to fall asleep, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can, but not always. So make sure that you're winding down appropriately, right? You have the blue light glasses if you need them, right? Quieting. I always say sleep is not an on off switch. So mm -hmm. it's, you got to do things to quiet down from the day whether it's reading, listening to music, relaxation, sometimes it's watching TV, if you can wear goggles, you know, try to avoid the TV right before bed. All those things are creating the dimmer switch in your brain to help you be able to go to sleep. And then other things like, right, like a pap is not gonna necessarily solve if you've had a huge meal or a lot of alcohol, that can still wake you up. Yeah. So those are all things you wanna, lots of liquids alcohol within three hours you don't want to have within three hours but um heavy meals all that stuff exercise earlier like four to six mm -hmm. hours before bed or during the day but not within three hours of bed those are all the basic things that will help get you to fall asleep faster stay asleep longer and and work in conjunction with whatever mm -hmm. you're doing for your uh, apnea treatment mm -hmm. so we have to come on to the nap thing ah yes so 
I last time I went to my uh, sleep specialist, mm -hmm. I was like kind of asking about naps because I'd read something that said that the ideal nap is like 10 to 20 minutes and I yeah. was just like what kind of craziness is that and I was like I've been napping for an hour to two hours mm -hmm. and my sleep specialist was like that's not really considered napping that would then be considered part of your actual like sleep, sleep time night, yeah. so talk to us about what an actual like good nap is and like whether we should be napping and what you think about naps? I think that's when you add in the apnea aspect, it's a bit more of a loaded question, right? right. So, oh, it's totally a loaded question. A hundred percent. So <laughs> let's take someone out who might not have apnea, right? Yeah. The typical yeah. nap yeah. is not a substitute routinely for nighttime sleep. That's the Got first it. thing I always say, right? Okay. So if you're getting enough sleep at night or you had a rough night for some reason, um, you had to go to bed late for some reason. A 20 to 30 minute max, I would say set your timer for 30 minutes. A 20 minute nap is great because it's refreshing and before 2 or 3 p.m., depending on how late okay. you go to bed. It's refreshing. It's like it takes away, I always call it like a snack of sleep because you're snacking on it, but you're not getting so full, right? So you're getting a little bit of relief of sleepiness, but not getting into the deeper stages of sleep where you wake up and then are groggy. So that's the way to do it ideally. And if you can in your home, do it in your bed, try to recline wherever you can. But if you're someone who has insomnia, you're having trouble sleeping at night, and you're napping, then you want to think about getting rid of the nap. That's where it becomes a problem. Now, for someone who has sleep apnea or who's hypersomnia, some sort of issues, like if you're getting a lot of sleep at night, you want to make sure you're getting enough sleep at night first. But if you're getting a lot of sleep at night and you have apnea, one of the things that we see sometimes is for some people, even when their apnea is well controlled, they're still excessively sleepy during the day. Right. I know. And that's what you're, you're talking about. Right. And it's that it, it's, it, it sucks. Excuse my language. It's just yeah. not fun, yeah. but it's, then it's thinking about napping. Right. So it's like, it's a 20 minute nap. I think about this. I do this with narcolepsy patients a lot. Right. Is a 20 minute, sometimes you have to experiment. Sometimes a 20, 30 minute nap is just not enough. But if you do say 90 minutes, 90 to 120 minutes, then you're going to go through a whole sleep cycle, sleep cycle. Yeah. you come and you awaken. And it's not like if you awaken like an hour in, you might be more groggy. But if you go a whole sleep cycle, then you might come back out of it and it might still be refreshing as long as that doesn't impact your nighttime sleep. Got so it. that's but for the average person who's getting enough sleep at night, 20 minutes should be enough. Okay. And for some people, and I don't want to make this as a blanket statement. Right, for some it's people, really difficult. It's but for some people, spending a little less time in bed and limiting the naps, if you have to, can actually deepen your sleep a little bit more. But for some people, I do recommend like restricting a little bit, shaving a little bit off that bedtime wake time because it does cause you to have somewhat deeper sleep and fewer. But I also, the other thing that's interesting too is a lot of the insomnia patients I work with, they assume like that you should wake up in the morning and be like, I, it's a glorious day. I'm going to yeah. go do all these great things. I don't think that's true, right? For a lot, right. I even, I'm like, I have to have all my clothes out that I'm going to work out with the next yeah. morning. I, my brain says, stay here. Yes. But it takes a good half hour to an hour for some people just to yes. mentally wake up. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you didn't get enough sleep if you right. got eight hours. Right. Just give yourself like a half hour to an hour to judge yeah and one of the best things i ever did was just to decide that i'm getting up and i'm walking for 45 minutes every single morning no matter mm -hmm. what happens yes and somehow now i'm probably like eight years into that habit and i always feel better some mornings exactly. i 
am so like I don't want to do it and I but I just do it and yeah. I always feel better and it always helps my mental health and my mood and and all of that so I think a lot of it is just kind of making yourself until it's a habit and then I always yeah. say fake it it sounds so cheesy but I say it all the time fake it till you make right. it right no exactly right. you're just like here I am I'm out here I'm doing it like even though you're just mm -hmm. like oh I want to be in bed where can people get your book um, you can get it anywhere on like Amazon, Barnes and Noble. There are some local bookstores that still have it. it came out about two years ago. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very widely available on Amazon. So. Yeah. So you're in private practice and mm -hmm. are you in New York state? Where is it you are? I'm in Westchester County, which is just North of Manhattan. So most okay. of my patients, I've, I've been doing telehealth for a while, even before oh, the pandemic, yeah. because like some of the hospitals in Manhattan send to me. So okay. I just, I see people from all over New York, the tri-state area, they'll come okay. to my office in Westchester, but yeah, mostly, mostly still remote. Good. I really, like, I really wanted to say a big thank you for joining me because I know you're really busy. Uh, you're running around too, but thank you for doing this. Thank you for the podcast. The more people who have just knowledge of sleep apnea and make it seriously, it's like, it's, yeah, it's so needed in right. our society. So thank you for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. I love hearing from you. If you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode, please email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's also the place to get in touch if you just want to say hi or ask a question. Alternatively, you can always reach me on Instagram. My handle there is at sleepapneastories. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. This really helps a wider audience to find the episodes and I really appreciate it.